0: I like that you mentioned technology the other way that we've seen I mean in South Africa we've had this over several years of VBS mutual bank corruption scandal that's been developing and one of the ways they sort of linked the corrupt alleged corrupt people because they haven't been charged yet is through instant messaging WhatsApp messages. Is that something that's admissible in court? If I take a screenshot of a message or a recorded message on a phone call and then I go and present it in court as evidence? So I
1: often say, you know, we must be very careful of even things like being part of a WhatsApp group. So let's say we know that, you know, there's a crime being committed and you have sent that to me. So I'm the receiver and we are three in this WhatsApp group. And I then decide to take a screenshot of that information. I am a party to that, right? That information technically I can then choose. to disclose of it the way I see it fit. So if you're going to be, you know, committing crimes and you are going to be then sharing it over technology, you cannot then, you know, go and say that your privacy was breached because if we're both consenting parties to that conversation and I've decided to go and say whatever it is that I've said and, you know, my business partner or whoever it is has decided to use that against me, it is what it is, right?
0: Welcome to the Tech Legal Matters podcast by iAfrican Radio. Since 2015, we at iAfrican.com have been doing research and publishing about significant data breaches and leaks across Africa. Some we have reported on publicly, while others were too sensitive and we simply notified the relevant authorities without publicly reporting on them. During the same period, we have also researched and reported extensively on cybersecurity, privacy and data protection related matters across Africa. What we have always observed is that not many people and organizations understand the legal implications of the various technologies that they use. In this podcast, we will explore these topics and more with a specific focus on the intersection of technology and the law, how that affects you as an individual, but also from a business perspective. New episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast will be broadcast every Friday. The podcast will also feature analysis, insights, and commentary from attorneys who specialize in information and communications technology law. My name is Defo Mohapi. And I will be your host. Woo! Now, for a word from our sponsors.
2: Hello. My name is Lucien Pierce, an attorney in South Africa. What I have noticed over the years is that technology continues to challenge the legal system. What I mean is that sometimes laws battle to keep up with the speed at which technology is changing and the various new technologies that are launched. At Pukube Piers Masitella Attorneys, our team of lawyers all have a passion for information and communications technology law and are well versed in the latest technologies and the laws applicable to them in South Africa. With 15 years of experience as a law firm in South Africa, we specialise in information and communications technology, marketing and advertising and infrastructure related to these sectors. PPM Attorneys has a long list of satisfied clients and an unblemished record. So visit us at ppmattorneys.co.za and talk to us about all your legal matters related to technology.
0: Corruption is a word we hear quite often in South Africa since we gained uh, democracy. And it's been attributed to lack of service delivery, not only in South Africa, but across the continent at large. However, over a period of time, we've seen that people are not generally brought to book, especially depending on what office they hold or how higher up in society they are. In recent years, though, we've seen that technology has played, to a certain extent, a role in helping get some of these corrupt dealings, especially related to public service delivery, to book. Joining me today on the Tech Legal Matters podcast is Nazreen Pando, an admitted attorney of the High Court of South Africa and a certified fraud examiner. Nazreen, how are you?
1: I'm very well. And yourself? I'm good.
0: Uh, Just frustrated as always by the lockdown, but it's, it's needed.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm very excited to be on this podcast, very excited to connect with your listeners and to talk about corruption. That's good. But before
0: we get to that, perhaps give us a brief background on who you are, your experience, because I know whilst preparing for this podcast that you worked at the Special Investigation Unit in South Africa.
1: That's correct. So I often say to people, I did my country duty. Um, I worked for the Special Investigating Unit. And the Special Investigating Unit, for those who don't know, um, is a body that is established to look at um, corruption matters. But it has to be done by proclamation. Um, So a lot of people will know about the Nkandla matter and the Nkandla case. That was done by proclamation. And the question will be then, but so how does that work? Uh, So did Jacob Zuma issue the proclamation himself so that Nkandla could be investigated by the SIU? Absolutely. Uh, So it's one case in point. So to this day, working with different administrations, the president is the one who receives the report from the special investigating unit and he then takes action. So the repercussions that we're now seeing, we're now seeing uh, the architect, for example, Minentle uh, Makanya in the uh, Ngandla matter. we're now seeing that before the courts and that was as a result of the SIU investigation. Uh, so I had the privilege of being the, the spokesperson uh, of the unit and really creating awareness. For me it's about taking a technical subject like corruption and really making sure that your Gogodlamini understands when we say Gogodlamini, we must be reporting corruption. What is it that we mean? And that's how I really got into the space. I am a qualified attorney, but the passion is to create awareness to say we must say no to corruption.
0: That's quite interesting. You said that a president has to issue an order or something to that effect to, for, for an investigation to start into corruption. So, the question I would have, or as you said, a Gogo Dlamini would have, is that what stops a president from not issuing such an order if they are corrupt?
1: I love that question because when I had the privilege of, you know, speaking on behalf of the SIU, I could confidently say back then um, uh, that there was, since the SIU has been established, there was no case, you know, there was no uh, rather motivation that was put forward uh, by the SIU that any president, any sitting president then decided that, you know, he's not going to go ahead and sign it into a law. So that hasn't happened. Um, and I think that just by nature of you know South Africans and us ensuring that you know we want to see transparency, um, I think that if there had been such a scenario of a proclamation or an investigation, I definitely think that it, you know many would it would sit very unwell with people. Why then do you have a body? And then after that, as a sitting president, you wouldn't want to if somebody if a an SIU, an established body, is coming and saying we have reason to believe and remember also how um, the SIU would work they would say we have reason to believe that there must be corruption in this area and therefore we're asking for permission to go and look at that so I'll give you an example or ESCOM there's a proclamation that the SIU has in terms of that and sometimes what happens is that whistleblowers Uh, so whistleblowers is an ordinary person just like me just like you who knows of information of some behavior that is not okay and acceptable, who then says, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to report it. So you can also go to the public protector, right, in South Africa. Correct. And you can say... I am a, well, you know, being a whistleblower, you obviously want to protect your identity. Uh, but these are the way things of these nature or uh, mishaps like this, you know, get uh, to be exposed. So it's very, very important for us to create the awareness and then for us to also call on whistleblowers. Uh, a very famous whistleblower, Snowden, internationally. Yep. I was even going to say, you know, when you introduced uh, the subject, yes, corruption is something that is very topical in South Africa, but we see corruption all over. I mean, let's look at internationally, let's look at the FIFA scandals, Uh, let us look at the World Cup, you know, uh, the Qatar, the building of those stadiums. So, corruption is not something that is unique to South Africa. Corruption is a, a, you know, when you even quantify it, it goes into trillions of dollars. Uh, So, it's it's a phenomenon that it is not unique to South Africa, certainly not unique to Africa. It is a worldwide phenomenon that must be curbed.
0: But despite having said that, we can't excuse it happening in our countries.
1: Absolutely you cannot excuse it. And that is why we need to do the right thing and we need to inculcate good values. You know, um, I really love the Hong Kong model because the Hong Kong model is that you start young, you start in schools, you know, you start teaching children um, that what are values, what are what are good values, what is it that society should look like? So you inculcate it uh, from that stage. So for ex- as long as I think we can start uh, teaching good values. What is it that we want our society to look like? And we understand the effects of corruption. You know, if you are going to take money and give it, it's give it. Let's give an example. Give it to a policeman, right? Um, so that he doesn't issue you that 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 ticket. What are and you cool doing? Cool drink money, yeah. Cool drink money, exactly. You know, or yeah, what cool drink money, or they sometimes say, How do you thank me? How are you going to yes. thank me? You know? Uh those kind of things. And if you are doing that and you are then saying to the policeman, I'm not going to pay you this money, that money, remember, it goes back into the fiscus, it goes back into our infrastructure. It would mean that when our Minister of Finance, Tito Mpaweni, currently is sitting and looking at his budget. He's then able to say, we've got X amount in the kitty and therefore we're going to be able to have schools and textbooks. We're going to be able to fix the pothole in the road. So corruption is something that affects your everyday person. There is no person who is not affected by corruption. And that was my next
0: question and statement because many people like saying that corruption is something that is a victimless crime because money can always be replaced. But when it comes to the public sector, you are literally stealing money from other projects that, as you said, could be schools, could be hospitals, etc. But it's also something that is... Quite difficult to prove, mm. to prove the intent. Firstly, that somebody intended to be corrupt. Mm. Secondly, to trace it. What are some of the, without giving too much away, because many people listen to this podcast, what are some of the ways that have proved successful for investigators? Mm
1: you know, that's why I often like starting with um, whistleblowers and we kind of touched in on it, right? So a whistleblower, so somebody knowing, for example, you might be in the finance department or you might be running with procurement and you know for a fact that um, the CFO, I'm just giving you an example, the CFO might have been in touch with a company that was also bidding for the same work and the CFO might have said to that person, you know, come in at this price. You, by by virtue of having that information, can become a whistleblower. And so our laws in this country, they do protect whistleblowers. um, And they say, if you are making a disclosure and provided you are making it in good faith. And it's very important that I say this because we must remember that we are coming from a a background of necklacing, for example. Yes, during apartheid, yeah. Right? And so when you look at the context of whistleblowing in South Africa, it's very unique. You must look at it in that context. It's frowned upon. Absolutely. So, our whistleblowing mechanisms must be such that they're saying, are you disclosing this information in good faith? And we know, I'll give you different scenarios, where sometimes you've got uh, an ex-husband and ex-wife, and the ex-wife is like, I'm going to show this guy. And just to tarnish his name, they then call into these call centers, or even it could be a man, for example, so let me not make it about gender. But you've got spouses, basically, who are disgruntled with each other. And sometimes you even have disgruntled employees who it might not necessarily be the the truth And that is why our law says that you must be doing it in good faith. And I that see. is how you will be protected. That is how your identity will be protected. So somebody will say, what am I protected from? You're protected from losing your job, for example. You would be protected from, and sometimes it doesn't work because we do know that whistleblowers do get killed. So it comes at a great risk to people, but it's very important that your identity at least mustn't be disclosed, right? So, that's the one way, whistleblowing. Also, the use of technology. Correct. So, so, for example, if you are going to be emailing things on company systems, it might be that the company policy actually says that your emails can be intercepted at any moment. Well, they belong to the company legally, don't they? So, you see, and sometimes, so it, sometimes what will happen is that a company has search words or keywords or whatever it is That would hit so that it knows and it's triggered. So that if there are these words, let's say there's a Tim in business development, and Tim is like having these emails that are saying golf day, but in actual fact, that golf day might be you know a bribe. Uh, so that he can get that business, you know, is that something that the ethics department must be aware of? So the use of technology is also very, very important. I would say to companies, ensure that your own resources and or your own tools are not being used, uh, you know, to be soliciting bribes. Uh, So be vigilant to that and also make sure that your policies, when it comes to your employees, they're very well aware of what it is that they can be doing with company resources, what it is that they can be doing with company cards, that sort of information. And it's not things that are going to be tarnishing your image. Um, Because what we do know, uh, you know, and and, and there's a, um, I think there's a lot that has been, uh, you know, spoken about in terms of whistleblowers and how whistleblowers have actually been able to really um, save companies to really save entities so I cannot stress the importance of you know if you know something is wrong try to to say something don't be afraid or even using technology so sometimes people set up uh, we know entities will have um, whistleblowing hotlines yes you know where you can call in so using technology in that sense um, or they'll even have emails where you can set up an anonymous email and you're able to do that, where you're not disclosing your identity. But it's basically bridging the gap so that you don't have to physically be calling in or physically going to be meeting somebody to say, you know, I've got this information. Um, You've got a whole lot of other organizations where even if you find untoward contracts, let's say, again, in the procurement department, you can simply just email them off with, um, you know, And they have systems and ways in which they will protect your identity.
0: Yeah. The other, I like that you mentioned technology. The other way that we've seen, I mean, in South Africa, we've had this over several years a VBS mutual bank corruption scandal that's been developing. And one of the ways they sort of linked the corrupt, alleged corrupt people because they haven't been charged yet is through instant messaging, WhatsApp messages. Is that something that's admissible in court if I take a screenshot of a message or a recorded message on a phone call and then I go and present it in court as evidence? Mm.
1: So I often say, you know, we must be very careful of even things like being part of a WhatsApp group. So let's say we know that, you know, there's a crime being committed and you have sent that to me. So I'm the receiver and we are three in this WhatsApp group. And I then decide to take, um, you know, a screenshot of that information. Um, I am a party to that, right? That information technically, I can then choose to disclose of it the way I see it fit. So, if you're going to be, you know, committing crimes and you are going to be then sharing it over technology, uh, you cannot then, you know, go and say that you know your in your your privacy your pri- privacy was breached because if we're both consenting parties to that conversation and I've decided to go and say whatever it is that I've said and, you know, my business partner or whoever it is has decided to use that against me. It is what it is, right? Um, so I think it's very important that we see and we talk about the role of technology, but we also talk about the admissibility of evidence. So you can't just go around hacking people's WhatsApps or yes. whatever it, or hacking people's com- emails and saying I suspect and therefore this is what I've done. We've got privacy laws that must be respected. So that's why it's very important to then say to somebody. You know, be careful of the WhatsApp groups that you find yourself in, because if, for example, a crime was committed and you were part of that WhatsApp group and you also didn't say anything, and later on it was discovered, you know, you don't want to find yourself un, you know,
0: wanting, know As part an right? alibi.
1: Yes, as an alibi or whatever it is. So, it's very, very important for us to look at our own social media footprint. What is it that we are saying on social media? Because for as long as it's out there, it's shared, and it's with the party or in the public domain, it could possibly, um, you know, if it found its way there through, like I said, through proper means, it could possibly be used as evidence against you. So, we see it a lot. Even with VBS, we see... Um, you know, I often used to say people forget that you've got investigators on social media. So people actively, for- actively looking. Absolutely. Yes. So there's a thing that we call lifestyle audits. People will say. So to they you, do this. They sit and check our Instagram. Your Facebook. I mean, if you are saying that you are a city manager, <laughs> I, need to get XY, I and need you to are get on Instagram. Facebook. Yeah, You know, with pictures of you, and you're on Instagram with pictures of you, Coperas, mm. and you just a city manager. at the Chanel
0: store, uh, bags. I can,
1: I can tell you that is, yeah. That you, I, you There's are, a file on you. We are definitely <laughs> able to use social media to assist us to create a picture of your lifestyle. So that thing, lifestyle audits, uh, yeah, it really comes in handy. Social media really comes in handy for people like myself.
0: That is, I I actually believe that because last week I was chatting, I actually showed my colleague Nzalo, a Nigerian guy who lives in Dubai. Mm. He's very, he he calls him on on Instagram. He's got like 3 million followers or something Mm. like that. He's Instagram famous, number one. And on Instagram, he says he's a real estate developer. Mm. He has like, I don't know, 30 cars, 20 cars. And these are just not normal BMWs and Mercedes and Corollas. These are Rolls Royces. Mm-hmm. These are Maseratis. Nothing wrong with that, but he's always posing at Gucci stores, getting 20 bags. He's got the, they invite him to Gucci launches and all that. And as I said, he calls himself a real estate developer. Apparently it was revealed last week. His name is Hushpuppy. Yes, It's Hash on Instagram. Uh, Ramon Abbas, Nigeria. That's his real name. Last week he was arrested In one of his apartments or whatever in in Dubai, the Dubai police say they've been tracking his Instagram. That's what led them Mm -hmm. to that over the years to discover that he defrauded, I think it's over a million people and businesses using business email uh, scams. Uh, compromise scams, B C scams, where they intercept uh, payment uh, yeah. emails and they pretend to be the client and the business finance department pays them. He did over a million of those. Mm. I think in cash, they caught him with about $40 million. Mm. All wow. those cars. And, but the key point I wanted to make is, yes, I believe that because they used Instagram as a trigger to say, okay, this guy lives in our country, et cetera, so he's a real estate developer. Oh. But it doesn't seem like we can link the two together, you know? Absolutely. So they use that and they track them down. So I believe that. And I think we need to all be careful. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well,
0: you need to be careful if you're not doing anything dodgy.
1: Absolutely. You need to be careful if you're not doing anything if dodgy. If you are doing dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you're not doing it. <laughs> If you're not, you don't
0: need to be careful.
1: No. And you need to also remember that whatever is, you know, ethically correct. It's fine. Yes, is what really should be guiding you because sometimes what is legally correct and what is ethically correct oh, yes. are two different yes. things. So we'll see people saying, you know, tax evasion, for example. Well, what's wrong if I then decide um, that I am going to start up a shell company or what is wrong with if I decide, for example, a good one, I'm going to front, so I'm going to use the gardener as, you know, in a party. That You know what I mean? Those sort of conversations. That's ethically wrong. That is ethically ethically wrong and legally now you know in the past it wasn't you know but now it's wrong yes now it's wrong because now you've got to show that you know what is your skin in the game for example if you're the gardener you know is there skin in the game are you at least bringing skills what are you bringing to the table but prior to that we did see and there are a lot of other plays we call it circumventing the law where people then circumvent the the law to suit themselves so ethically it is Absolutely questionable, but legally on paper, it might look like something else, right? Um, another point that I think that we, where I want to make an example is in the culture of, and in South Africa, it's very unique, the blessing, blesses. Oh, yes, right? yes. So yes. how is I think it?
0: South Africa started that culture globally.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so sometimes, so what is a blesser? So, so a blesser will be maybe a very successful tenderpreneur. And now why am I honing in on Tenderpreneur? I'm honing in on Tenderpreneur because we know when we look at corruption in South Africa that procurement fraud, tenders, that is where we see a lot of Mishappenings, especially in the construction industry. So, where there are really these big, big projects in the ICT space, where your projects, we're speaking billions, we're not speaking millions. Yes. You know, and so why is it that I'm talking about tenderpreneurs? Because you will have somebody say, you know, to this young woman, I'm going to set up a business for you, blah, blah, blah. She probably doesn't even know what the business is about. I see. You know, or open a bank account, right? So that there are different bank accounts as there's money flowing through. You could be money laundering through your blesser. Are you with me? So it's very important that we have these conversations so that people also know that when people say, you know, they're business people, you are alive to that. Because if you've got that information, you could also possibly help the state.
0: You could be an alibi to money laundering, as you say.
1: Correct. So opening different bank accounts for different businessmen who are, you know, you you become a conduit, basically.
0: That is interesting. But how do you, I mean, you mentioned these lifestyle audits. Yes, it's all great and well. How do you then link? Because some people will say, this is policing of black people, of, of black entrepreneurs. Why, why are you policing black entrepreneurs? Why can't, and I mentioned black because mm. that's a majority in South Africa. Why can't they just live their lives, have their money? Why are you always constantly looking on their social media? Can't they just buy cars and you know, flash them if they want to? How do you then link this lifestyle audit a corrupt dealing, is it a matter of you already had a case, potential case going on and then you add the lifestyle audit or is it the other way around or is it something else?
1: So we saw there was about a year back, we saw, you know, a call for government... for for government employees, I don't know if you'll recall, for government, senior government employees to all be subjected to a lifestyle audit. So that would be an example, right? Where you would have somebody in the leadership saying, you know what, I want all my senior officials, I want us to look at whether what they're earning is commensurate to their lifestyle. So it would be sparked by something. We don't want, again, that whole culture of, you know, people spying on each other for no reason. And that's why we've got laws, right? So that people's protection is, you know, sorry, so that people privacy is protected, right? So, that's why we've got, we don't want, uh, what is it, Uh, inquisitive uh, mang-mang prying into your business. We don't want that. Uh, So, we want to make sure that when we are doing these lifestyle audits, when we are calling for people to be investigated, that there is a reasonable suspicion. It's not just based on, I am jealous because, you know what I mean? There's a reasonable suspicion uh, or there is something that is saying that, you know what, One plus one is not adding up to two, but it's definitely working within those and respecting people's rights to privacy. Okay. It's a balance.
0: Interesting. Now we get back to corruption and and, and the monies involved. I I mentioned social media and tracking those people. I mentioned uh, instant messaging. What is the success rate in terms of these cases? Because in South Africa, we've seen... One, it takes a little bit long. It takes several years to, to, for the cases to see themselves through. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I don't think the public has confidence that uh, these there's a success rate. What is the success rate so far, mm-hmm. especially say, with the public sector?
1: Yeah, very, very low. Very, very low. We are just not seeing um, enough. And I think when you started with your introduction, you said that we're just not not enough people are being brought to book. And that's also sometimes because of of the honestly we must it's it's a skills thing. To investigate corruption is a it's complicated. It takes multiple Technical? skills. Absolutely. So you work with cyber, so for example, you mm. you tracing money, right? And sometimes we even touched on the fact that the money might not even be sitting in South Africa. You might be looking at offshore bank accounts. Yeah. So you look, you know, you need all sorts of protocols for you to be able to get access into people's bank accounts that might be sitting in Switzerland. Uh, or the Isle of Man, for example. So it's mul- multiple skills. You need people who know how to uh, read financial statements, right? You need people who it might be an infrastructure... program. Uh, what is it? An infrastructure construction uh, project. project. So they need to understand how those work. You need yeah. engineers uh, who are going to be able to tell you that for sure this was billing. So there's a lot of things that go into that. And then another thing is that how are you then able to say for effect that Mr. X bribed Mrs. Y if Mr. X might have given Mrs. Y the money in an envelope. Are you with me? Or in a black plastic, plastic bag. Or in a black plastic bag. So it's going to be very, very difficult um, to prove. So these are all the things that as investigators, as people in the criminal justice uh, system, they are faced with. How? And then obviously you've got these people on the other hand who've got access to a whole lot of money, right? The person you're alleging is corrupt because if they've stolen these billions. So they then have money to the best lawyers in the world. The best. So they will frustrate you, you will go to court, they will say to you, you know, procedurally, you're search warrant was not right, blah, blah, blah we then just see years and years and years go by and nothing is being done. So we certainly need to see a whole lot more that can be done. There is hope. There is a new tribunal, which is now just specializing um, on corruption cases. So almost like, you know, how the labor law works, where it's just labor cases. This is just corruption cases. Like CCMA. Exactly. So there is hope. So we, but more can be done. And I think if more people are coming out and more people are not afraid to blow the whistle so that even evidence, you're able to pick up evidence faster, point people in the right direction, investigators in the right direction, I think that can certainly help. So this is one of those situations where it's a social ill and it requires all hands on deck.
0: Nazreen, closing up, I think uh, you, you summed it up quite perfectly. We need more people to be encouraged to blow the whistle on corrupt activities, especially when it comes to the public sector. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. As we always say on the podcast, although we're discussing legal matters, This does not constitute legal advice. Please contact your attorney or contact PPM attorneys. Cheers. Now for a word from our sponsors.
2: Hello. My name is Lucien Pierce, an attorney in South Africa. What I have noticed over the years is that technology continues to challenge the legal system. What I mean is that sometimes laws battle to keep up with the speed at which technology is changing and the various new technologies that are launched. If you are experiencing this challenge, our lawyers at PPM Attorneys all have a passion for information and communications technology law and are well versed in the latest technologies and the laws applicable to them in South Africa. Visit us at ppmattorneys.co.za and talk to us about all your legal matters related to technology.
0: Remember to tell your friends family, and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafr ikan.com forward slash radio and subscribe to get notified on new episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast and any other iAfrican radio shows.
2: Stay safe on the web.